Welcome back to Screen Time with Ron Roper. I'm Rokan. I'm Richard Roper. Today we have three different items we'd like to share with you. One, we'd like to talk about movies based on a true story. And then we want to talk about things that we have gone back to re-watch. You know, we're stuck at home in the pandemic. I basically have gone back to Comfort TV. Have you made it to the end of Netflix and now you're starting to rewatch? You've got through everything. If you like this, you'll like that. If you like documentaries about murderous cake bosses who found out the truth about their family and then guest starred on a reboot of a TV series from the 80s, that's my favorite preview content. There. Also doesn't count if you rewatch Bridgerton one week after you watch it the first time. I think I'll watch that again. I miss it. And the triumphant return of the Thursday Three. We'll get to all that in a moment. But first, Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design and development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your business success. Because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Get started today at AmericanEagle.com. All right, Ro, we have a couple of movies coming out this week. In some cases, you'll be able to see it in a theater, elsewhere, online, in virtual theaters, as they say. And both of these are inspired by true stories. And I thought we'd use those two films as a launching point to talk about other films that were based on true stories. The first one is called Body Brokers. And this is pretty fascinating. You probably knew about this because you've got a long background in news and, and talk. And I would kind of missed this, but essentially... The basis for this is under the Affordable Care Act of 2012, insurance companies essentially had to pay for anyone who went to rehab. They had to pay the rehab centers. They had to pay the full freight for that. And this spawned this entire industry of rehab centers. Of course, they had existed before that, but they sprung up like crazy, especially on the West Coast. And in the movie Body Brokers, which is a fictionalization of this story, we meet a young man who's played by Jack Kilmer son of Val Kilmer and mm. Joanne Wally. He's a drug addict in Ohio, and he's basically recruited to come to a rehab center in California. And then there's a great actor by the name of Frank Grillo, and he plays the guy that owns all the rehab centers, and he explains exactly how the cash cow and the money train is launched with each new patient. We bill $2,500 a day for this. So... Based on a 90-day program, detox, residential, intensive outpatient, and UAs, that's 300000 per person per 90 days. And somewhere like New West has 60 beds. That's $18 million billed every quarter. And wait for it, $72 million billed a year. You fucking heard me. $72 million. This movie feels a lot like The Big Short. Absolutely. That's the style I think the writer-director John Swab was going for, Row that kind of very slick, stylized thing where a complex story is broken down in a way that we, the lay people, can understand, but also doesn't dumb down the subject matter. And his, his own story is pretty fascinating. Uh, John Swab, the writer-director, uh, he, he lived this life as an addict for like 10 years. And in fact, they filmed this in Tulsa where he lived and actually some of the harrowing scenes of addiction and abuse are in hotel rooms where he's like, I stayed in that hotel room. So there's this kind of verite quality to it, but it's also very stylized. Uh, the characters are not based on any real-life people, but the situations are. And, and the guy played by Frank Grillo, there was a famous, infamous character who ran a bunch of rehab centers and was a total crook. I'm not saying everybody that runs these centers are, 
but it does lay out in you know a very kind of graphic form here Ro, you know the the recidivism rate for people who go into rehab you know it's so high it's over 80 percent and that's just the reality of it so what people were doing and what these rehab centers were doing in the early 2010s and probably unfortunately continue to do is you know they bring in these addicts they give them seven to 15 days of treatment then there's some outpatient stuff or residential stuff and they're getting paid throughout that process by the insurance companies and four times out of five those addicts unfortunately are back in the rehab center within a year or two as you mentioned this is a very personal story for the writer director but jack kilmer gives a really nuanced and seemingly informed performance well absolutely and of course you know val kilmer his father has famously been through a lot of problems i don't know jack kilmer's personal story i will say this when you see the movie you see his father's face he's got a definite resemblance to his to his pops and uh, i think he's got some of his acting chops as well and there are quite a few other great actors oscar winner melissa leo uh, turns up she's a uh, the therapist at the clinic who's not really a conspirator but then again is kind of an enabler and then peter green who is one of the great oily villains of all time peter green played zed in mm-hmm. pulp fiction uh he was red foot in the usual suspects the guy they met with when they first came out to la and he's done a lot of other great things but there's something about peter green when you see him and he plays a doctor in this movie who performs those implants. Remember that, well, there still are. You know, you can do implants for opioid addicts and it kind of helps them recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had an assembly line going where he was performing these surgeries like 100 a week, whether people needed it or not, because they would just bust the addicts to his hospital. So the movie kind of tells you all different sides of this story. Uh, and you really feel for this kid, Utah, played by Jack Kilmer, because you think at heart he's a good kid, but then he kind of gets swept up in it because as a recovering addict, he has entree into all kinds of parties and to all kinds of people who also have a problem. And he's basically recruiting them for a finder's fee to go into rehab so the money train keeps going. Fascinating film is called Body Brokers. They're really literally, you know, brokering human bodies and souls and minds for huge profits. Yellow gold. You probably wouldn't believe it, but the piss in this cup is worth more than an ounce of white truffle, beluga caviar, platinum, gold, or even rhino horn. <laughs> Nice color. Each cup of piss pays $2,000, and each client can test up to five times a week. Do the math. That's $10,000 a fucking week off piss. Where can people find body brokers? The best way to find movies these days, Ro, is to Google the title and find out if it's playing in a theater near you or where you can get it online. A lot of times these films are now playing on multiple virtual platforms. Body brokers available this week. Also available this week is the movie Silk Road, which feels like something we might have seen in a 60 Minutes piece. Yeah, we did, and a lot of other places as well. Uh, This is, in a a way, a similar film because it's, again, about very smart, duplicitous people gaming the system. But in the case of Silk Road, it's not just inspired by real-life events. It's actually based on the true-life story of Ross Ulbricht. This is the guy, kind of a self-appointed, I'm-going-to-change-the-world guy, Ro. He was incredibly smart. Uh, super libertarian. He really believed that government should have no say in anything an individual does unless that thing hurts other individuals. So he came up with this process by which he would facilitate the sale of all sorts of drugs on the dark web. 
sort of on the underground web, and he was an early adapter of Bitcoin. That's how he was able to avoid the feds for so long. And this little operation got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden there are articles about it. But he was so smart, he could mask IP addresses so people couldn't find him. So this movie's all about this guy who's really on this kind of Wolf of Wall Street path. Uh, Nick Robinson plays Ulbricht. And Nick Robinson, if people don't know the name, you've seen his face before, and he almost always plays these sweet-faced lovable kids he was the simon of the movie love simon mm-hmm. which was basically a john hughes movie except it was set in the 21st century and it was about a gay high school romance a beautiful film he's the student in uh, the series uh the teacher with kate mara where he's the high school student has an affair with him so he's usually kind of the innocent he, he looks younger than his even 25 years but here he's playing a guy who's just a little shit you know <laughs> and he's really really smart and super charismatic he will remind you a little bit of jesse eisenberg's great portrayal of mark zuckerberg in the social network where there's a guy who's the smartest person in the room and can't stop himself from letting you know that all the time. I've always wanted to change the world. How? Amazon for drugs. But you can't buy drugs on the internet. What if you could? Hate guys like that. And one of the great character actors of the 21st century, Jason Clark, is in this movie. I love Jason Clark, and he's perfectly cast as the streetwise, old-school DEA agent. So we kind of get his parallel path. I mean, the cybertech crime unit people are laughing at this guy with his manila folders, and he's trying to figure out how to work a computer. At one point, he goes, I think this guy's selling drugs on YouTube. Like, no, 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 he's not selling them on YouTube. Uh, but of course, we know that the shoe leather boots on the ground, you know, real human detective is going to be the guy that's probably going to crack this case. But the movie tells as much his story because he's this guy who went so undercover that he became addicted to drugs and had to go to prison. Now he's back with the DEA, but they kind of just want him sitting on the desk. But then he becomes aware of what Ross is doing, and there are two parallel stories. And as you're watching it, it is one of those stories where you're like, dang, and if you look it up, all of this stuff pretty much happened. Spoiler alert, uh, Ross Ulbricht is spending a long, long time in jail because the website expanded beyond marijuana and shrooms to crystal meth and then eventually weapons and things like that. So his his idealistic notion of how he was going to change the world wound up with him in an orange jumpsuit. It often does. The visionaries, the pioneers, they either become billionaires or cautionary tales, and that's really what this is. So where can we find Silk Road? Silk Road is actually playing in dozens of states at theaters that have reopened, but also available for a fee online. Those are two movies just released about true events. Jason Clark is in, to my eye, the best true event movie of the 21st century, Zero Dark Thirty. I love and admire and respect that film as well, Ro. It was near the top of our list of the best films of the century so far, regardless of genre. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, people who have seen that say, well, that's a slanted view or that's not what really happened. And, you know, as I've said for years, because I hear from people every time there's a movie based on a true story, I always say, listen, it's two hours, maybe two and a half hours at the most. Every single fictional film based on a true story has to cut corners often combines characters, leaves key characters out. You can't tell the story in real time, so there are going to be compromises made, and there's going to be poetic license taken. I've talked to so many directors and so many writers who have adapted true stories, and they're like, you know, before we do anything else, we have to make a movie that's going to entertain people. We have to make a movie that's going to keep people in its grips. And that goes even to the most serious material you could think of, like Saving Private Ryan, 
or Schindler's List, where it is absolutely telling the true story of these epic and sometimes tragic moments and great battles and, and horrific Holocaust moments, and it's still fictionalized. These films are still feature films. What people should be worried about is when movies or books or any kind of narrative lies to you about the events that took place. Zero Dark Thirty did not lie to you. That is, as you point out, an amalgam story of the characters who made that raid on bin Laden happen and basically put an end to Al-Qaeda as we knew it. At the outset of Silk Road, there's a title card that says, essentially, this is based on a true story, except for the parts we made up. And that goes, <laughs> harkens all the way back to William Goldman, the great screenwriter, with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, where it says most of what follows is true. And that's kind of a fun way of saying, because sometimes it'll say based on a true story, inspired by true life events. I've also found through the years, Rowan, I'm sure you found this as well, when a movie is made about a profession that someone does for a living, when it's made about their job, that's when they're the most critical. And we've done the same thing. I have sure. to admit, you know, as radio hosts, as TV quote-unquote personalities, or certainly for me as, you know, as a newspaperman, there are certain movies where I'm like, they're getting all of it right, and there's other movies. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. There's a movie called Straight Talk, uh, which I do not encourage people to check unless they really just want to punish themselves, but James Woods plays an investigative reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, my home newspaper. Dolly Parton plays Dr. Shirley, a radio host in Chicago, and that film manages to get both professions so wrong in so many ways that it's epic. So I'll hear. Uh, by the way, I yeah. want to stop you right there yes, and just say, you're welcome. I was a technical advisor on that film. Well, they didn't listen to you, buddy. Let me tell you that right now. <laughs> I mean, listen, they did film at the Sun Times, so they got that part right. But, you know, I get it too. There's going to be spot stylized versions. I used to, you know, I was never a huge fan of WKRP in Cincinnati because they apparently just had like a nighttime DJ and then like. Uh, no, 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 no. They got that totally right. Their midday guy was a country club tennis pro. That's exactly how that works. <laughs> Well, and I get that. I understand that. But then you'll also, it's always great when you hear from a police officer who says they got that movie right. Or, for example, from my standpoint, Spotlight, the great film about the Boston Globe investigative team. And they got every aspect of early 2000s journalism right. Not only just the computers and everything, but just the way the game works. All the President's Men is still the best newspaper movie of all time. But I think, you know, for those of us who know nothing about certain professions. For example, we've mentioned The Wolf of Wall Street. You know, it's this hugely stylized, crazy film. It has the all-time record for the most swears, by the way, <laughs> of all of any movie ever. And there's wild scenes of sex and drugs and rock and roll, and probably a lot of that really happened. But yeah. it's a completely stylized look at a real-life guy and real-life events. And we get that, and I think we still get the essential truth about the movie. So, you know, to this day, people will be debating about what whether certain events in The Blind Side or Aaron Brockovich were really true to what happened. And again, if you were in a part of that story, I get why you're going to say, well, that never happened. That conversation never happened. Well, guess what? You know, a lot of the crown is made up, too. Well, this is about the idea of getting the spirit of the story right if you don't get every detail right. And that's just storytelling. I will say this, though, from my research and from people I've talked to, everything you see in Black Panther is perfectly reflective of Wakanda and Asgard, Thor's home planet as well. This seems like a good moment to take a break. Coming up in 30 seconds, we know what you're doing because we're doing it, too. We're re-watching things that make us feel comfortable. Maybe you're watching what we're watching. We'll talk about it. I'm Bob Burke, founder and chairman of Burke America Parts Group, a family of brands that includes RepairClinic.com, an appliance and HVAC parts solution company that's grown into an international brand. 
Before AmericanEagle.com, we partially launched a new technology platform developed by another firm. American Eagle helped take our technology to a whole new level with digital marketing, software development, and business insights into our key markets, appliances, HVAC, and outdoor power equipment, and did so both on time and on budget. AmericanEagle.com has the resources, experience, and talent needed to produce solutions. Our new technology platform developed by AmericanEagle.com has produced tremendous results with higher traffic, conversion, engagement, and online revenue. If you have any home repairs you need to take care of, check us out at RepairClinic.com. If you need a world-class website or technology project, then I would highly recommend AmericanEagle.com. Call AmericanEagle.com at 773-NETWORK. That's AmericanEagle.com, 773-NETWORK. As you pointed out earlier, Mr. Roper, I have gotten to the end of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime. I'm starting to re-watch things that I may have watched a decade ago. Mm-hmm. The most recent, Archer. You know, that's, a, that's an interesting choice. I mean, Archer is a series that is universally beloved, but it's never had that giant giant success. I mean, it's a hit show and it's critically acclaimed and it's beautifully done, but it's not a show I would have thought that you would have gone back and started all over again. From the very beginning, because there's actual character development in this. Uh It's got our friend Aisha Tyler in it. When you put Archer up against the other animated great classics, whether it's The Simpsons or South Park, there's something so smart and stylish. It's the Mad Men Mm. of cartoons. Fascinating. I actually have gone back uh, recently, and you know, people are sometimes amazed. They're like, "You're really watching stuff just for fun?" Well, it's a palate cleanser for me. And uh, when I'm talking about stuff I rewatch, it's on a, a weekend where I don't have to do a lot of viewing, or it's late at night where if I fall asleep watching it, it's okay. As opposed to it would not be good if I fell asleep during a movie or a TV series that I'm going to review. <laughs> so I went back uh, to House of Cards recently, and you know, listen, you can g- get into the whole thing about Kevin Spacey. And how we feel about him personally and what's happened with him, I'm able to separate that and go back to the show. I don't I don't think you should fault the great people who directed and wrote and acted in that series because of what we later learned about Kevin Spacey. And it holds up. And it's been long enough now where I forgot about a lot of it, Roe. So I'm going back to the first couple seasons. It's also it, it first of all, it was a great, great show, especially in those early years. And what I had forgotten though were some of the great uh, guest-starring roles. Mahershala Ali, who went on to win two Academy Awards since then, has an early role in this. And really fascinating is Rachel Brosnahan, who is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. They thought she was only going to be in one or two episodes, so they just called her Rachel, they, you know, like, which, which they do sometimes on TV series. If someone's only going to be on one or two episodes, they're like, just, just use your real name. It'll be easier. And then she was so good, they expanded the part, but that's why Rachel Brosnahan is playing Rachel in House of Cards. So that one is holding up very, very well upon a rewatch. So you went back to the well on House of Cards. Mm -hmm. Were not the last four years of real live political drama on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News enough for you? It's fascinating you mentioned that because in the early seasons, we're far enough away from that on the timeline. But then they start talking on House of Cards about the 2016 election. And you just go like, "Eh, no, 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 run away. But there were so many things from House of Cards when you were watching it originally, like, well, thank God that can never happen. And then we got so close to it. Here's a little game we can play. House of Cards scene or reenacted Trump tweet. You don't actually need me to stand for anything. You just need me to stand to be the strong man, the man of action. My God, you're addicted to action and slogans. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I do, just as long as I'm doing something, you're happy to be along for the ride. And frankly, 
I don't blame you. With all the foolishness and indecision in your lives, why not a man like me? I don't apologize. In the end, I don't care whether you love me or you hate me, just as long as I win. I mean, when you think about what the last half decade of politics have been like in America, how creepy is that? That's why I have to watch Friends. There's a reason why certain shows are such enormous syndication hits and other really, really good comedies somehow don't travel well. Although I had kind of the opposite experience recently, Roe, when I went back and started watching Seinfeld, which I still say might be the greatest sitcom of all time. But I found, and maybe it's because I've seen it too many times or they're, they're, it does feel dated, it just wasn't hitting for me anymore. And I feel like maybe I just have seen it enough times where I just got kind of impatient, where I could, you know, as you said, you can say every line, but I found it to be almost like, I felt like I'd seen it yesterday. And that maybe that's a tribute to how great it is. Now, I did have a different experience, though, with Breaking Bad, which is intense, but is so great. And I have now come to the conclusion, Rome, that the final season of Breaking Bad, you know, and the penultimate episode, the second to the last episode, it's titled Granite State. I'm starting to feel like that might be the greatest single hour of television in history. It is so great, partially because of everything that's led up to it, but also because it sets the stage for that incredible climax. And Granite State ends with Walter White thinking he's going to turn himself in, but then he sees something happening on the television that makes him say, you know what, I'm going back. I have to believe that the, the investing public understands we're talking about a person who, who was there early on, but who had virtually nothing to do with the creation of the company and still less to do with growing it into what it is today. So what was Walter White's contribution? You know, to be honest, uh, honey? The company name. The company name. We, we came up with it by combining our names. Uh, Schwartz means black, black plus white makes gray. Hence gray matter technologies. Exactly. As far as I can recall, his contribution begins and ends right there. There are continuing reports of blue methamphetamine considered his signature product throughout the Southwest and some evidence of reaching as far as Europe. So my question is, is Walter White still out there? No, he's not. You sound very sure. I am. Which leads me to the other thing I've been rewatching lately in the genre. I stumbled across Jagged Edge, the 1985 thriller, which was a huge hit. Jeff Bridges played the uh, kind of wealthy heir who's accused of murdering his wife. And then Glenn Close plays Teddy Barnes, the defense attorney who falls in love with him. And I'm going to give some spoiler alerts here, Ro, because these mm -hmm. movies are from right. 30 or 40 years ago. I watched Jagged Edge, Presumed Innocent, and I watched Basic Instinct. All came out in the late 80s or early 90s. And what they have in common is they're wildly entertaining, lurid as hell, great performances. And in all three cases, the killers are so sloppy with the evidence. In Jagged Edge, there's a typewriter, which has a letter that jumps, so that's going to incriminate. Jeff Bridges, he hides the typewriter behind the sheets in the linen closet in his own house. So Glenn Close finds the typewriter. In Presumed Innocent, Harrison Ford's wife, played by Bonnie Bedelia, who was also John McClane's wife in Die Hard, she actually is the one who killed his lover, and he finds out because the claw hammer with the blood and the hair on it, he, he put it back in the toolbox. So he goes out to fix the fence <laughs> in the suburban North Shore the house, and he finds the claw hammer after the trial is already over where he's been charges dismissed against him. And then, of course, in Basic Instinct at the very end, Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas are wrestling around on the bed, and then the camera famously pans down, and the ice pick is under the bed. So listen, you don't leave the typewriter in the closet or the claw hammer in the toolbox 
or the ice pick under the bed. Lessons to be learned from rewatching lurid thrillers from a generation ago. Good note, OJ. (laughs) (laughs) And if it's Thursday, it's time for the Thursday Three. Checking in at... Number three. Happy birthday to the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, born February 17th. He's 58 years old. This year also marks the 30th anniversary of his first NBA championship with the Bulls over the Lakers. And perhaps a less successful endeavor, the 30th anniversary of his hosting of Saturday Night Live. Here he is with the superfans. Yeah, well, Michael, uh, what about the Olympics? Uh, You're representing our country. Isn't there a concern that these games might be uh, a little lopsided? Yeah. Yeah, why don't you just play these countries by yourself? (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) I don't think they'll let me do that, guys. He was always great on the court. Not so great on the screen. You know, talk about rewatching it. People go back and look at Space Jam. It's a terrible film. The technology is <laughs> kind of interesting, but he's absolutely god awful in it. And he was great in The Last Dance playing himself. Yeah. Because he wasn't trying to be likable. You're absolutely right. That's the real Michael Jordan reacting to iPad clips of his vanquished foes. And that's why it's so great. That's who he really is a vindictive dude. <laughs> but the greatest of all time. And not a sloppy drunk like Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, and you know, recently someone found the old photo. There was a time when Michael Jordan's jersey got stolen and he wore number 12 for one game, proving once again that Tom Brady is not the best athlete to ever wear number 12. How about that? <laughs> We're so petty as Chicagoans. Yeah. Checking in at... Number two. All those Twitter Trump impersonators are trying to figure out what they're going to do now. Mm-hmm. Not Chelsea Pope, who's now amassed a sizable audience impersonating White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Thank you all so much again for your time. Uh, Yes, Fox News. Petey, you're sharing that Trumpka quote out of context. Is this a question or are we trying to play gotcha? Playtime is uh, for recess. What's this really about? Well, uh, I'm sure your peers would be more likely to play with you if you shared the red ball during butts up. And that's kind of a tough one to do because it's pretty low key. It's not like way over the top where you could, you know, do a Sean Spicer or a Sarah Huckabee, but it's spot on. Who asked for an impression of Jen Psaki? I'd I like did. To, I'd like to know the answer well, to that. We don't. A lot of times we don't know we want something until we see it. But the thing that made Sarah Cooper so great was you had this African-American woman being spot on about Donald Trump. Well, she was lip syncing. That was the incredible thing there. Now, in this case, Chelsea Pope is actually doing an impersonation, which is so spot on. But again, it's like a little bit of school teacher, a little bit of condescension, a lot of intelligence. But she's got it down. And finally, checking in at number one. A lot of weathercasters around the country have turned into celebrities themselves this week, mm. reporting on the snow and the cold that's gripped the nation. But what happens when a real celebrity, Chris Hemsworth in this particular case, photobombs a weather live shot in his homeland of Australia? Well, welcome back to Weekend Today. Let's check your weekend weather now with Lauren Phillips. Hi, Loz. Hi, Beck. I am in Scone this morning. I've been telling you all morning, I'm in the horse capital of Australia, but I was yet to find a horse, so I thought I should hot-foot it up to one of the horse studs and check out the beautiful... The beautiful... I heard you talking about looking for some horses. There's a bunch down here, actually, which I've noticed in the paddock. What are you doing? Well, we're doing the weather for the Today Show, um, and I often get teased about not having the best presenting skills or pronunciation. You want to help me out? Yeah, let's let's mispronounce all of these. (laughs) All right. 
Cairns, possible shower, 28. Townsville, sunny, good, 28 as well. Sunshine Coast, uh, shower or two, 22. So maybe get a raincoat ready there. Brisbane, partly cloudy, 23. Gold Coast, partly cloudy too, 23 as well. Sydney, sunny, 22, fantastic. Canberra, partly cloudy, 19. No good for Melbourne again. No, nah, Melbourne, okay. rain increasing, 16. Having so. a shocker in Melbourne. What about a shout out to our friends in Melbourne who are locked down? Hello, all my friends in Melbourne. I'm from Melbourne. I'm a, I'm a Victorian. But uh, that rain, get your, <laughs> get your brollies out as well, I reckon. That brings to mind the time when Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki, uh, was on a morning show in Chicago that I was on, and I uh, actually talked him into joining the weather forecaster, who did not know that Loki was going <laughs> to join him for the weather. And it was pretty great because he talked about his brother from another mother in terms of Chris Hemsworth. So it all comes full circle there uh-huh. with weather casting. Most weather casters, I think the most they have to deal with is either a toddler or an adorable dog. I love when we get to see Australian TV. It looks and feels like an alternate universe to American television. It's like the upside down world, like bizarro <laughs> Superman. Like they'd have like, you know, hello, we're a lot like you, but we talk like this and we've got winter when you've got summer, mate. <laughs> and they're somehow prettier and uglier than we are all at the same time. <laughs> it depends on the angle. And that does it for this edition of Screen Time. The Roan Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service, global, digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, and digital marketing. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Special thanks to Screen Time executive producers Tim Alanius and Renee Nelson, our musical and production director, Brian Altair. And please don't forget to subscribe, to rate, to review, and to share the link with your friends and even your enemies if you think they you know you're in a giving mood see you next time